Right, so I've been thinking about Dungeness crabs. Hmm. Dungeness crabs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pity them. Imagine your whole existence just being food. The fact that you are it. Because there are lots of different types of crabs. I was going to ask you both, if you, would, if you could be any crab, what one would you be? And my first thought was, well, neither of them are going to say Dungeness. That's true. I mean, I don't know enough about crabs to have known what a Dungeness crab was, but now that I've looked at it and gone, oh yeah, that's the one that people do all the eating of, I certainly wouldn't be a Dungeness crab. Right? That's the thing. Nobody would choose to be a Dungeness crab. I think in terms of, of, of sea life that people wouldn't choose to be, it's a male anglerfish because of how they fuck. Well, you don't, you don't want to be the simp of the ocean. <laughs> that is a brilliant fucking word for it. Yeah, you don't want to be the, the simp fish and you don't want to be a Dungeness crab. If you compare it to a cow, I realise that's a bit of a different animal from a crab. Um, slightly smaller claws. But if you compare it to a cow, which we literally keep around to milk and eat, the first result, like the first page of results is not about eating cows. You, You Google Dungeness crab, right? Immediately, how to eat Dungeness crab. The easiest whole Dungeness crab recipe. Dungeness crab legs. You look up cow, right on the first page, man trampled to death by cows in lunch hour walk, inquest hears. That's badass! I'm looking up crabs right now to be like, look, I, I have very little knowledge on this, but I'm going to make an ill-informed decision on what kind of crab I would be. The ghost crab seems pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It lives on tropical beaches. It's good at disguising, so it's not going to get hassled by tourists on those tropical beaches, oh, yeah. but still gets to enjoy them. And it has little white pincers. It looks like someone tried to design a Pokemon because it's all one colour, but it's got different colour pincers. It's great. I was about to say, like, in <laughs> terms of, of crabs, it's one of the most Pokemon-looking crabs. Yeah. Especially the red ones, because their little eye stalks ha- are, like... It, they're red and the stalks are red, but the there's a, like two big white lumps with black slits on. They just look like cartoon eyes. They look like eyes. They look like cartoon eyes. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's my crab I'm going to be. That's a good choice. Oh, and they're so tiny. That's a very tiny crab. No one's going to notice me. I'll just enjoy the beach life. Okay. Let me just uh, uh, ghost crab. Laura. Right. Uh, just add a parenthesis. Um, did not say Dungeness Crab. Cool. Conrad. Yeah, yeah. If you could be any crab. Oh, any crab. And remember, right, there's a lot of political capital involved in this question. There is, there is, there is. What one would you be? I would be a hermit crab. Oh, classic choice, if I might say so. That is a fun choice. You you get to you get to pick and swap houses. That's that's so fun. Yeah, yeah, because I don't I don't believe in private property, you see, that ah. mollusk shell, I can just move right in. And, you know, if I find one that's better suited to me, I can move out, move into that one. Yeah. I think in terms of a crab that personifies the concept of, of property being theft, <laughs> uh, I think the hermit crab is right up there. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, they they they've, they've got they've got things right. You know, you you have a a house that's sort of like an outfit that you live in, and when you outgrow that, you just pass it down to someone else who who could use it, and you find someone else's cast off that's now right for you, and you know, share and share alike. Exactly. Yep. All right. So that's the issues dealt with. Uh, listeners, welcome to Podquisition. I hope you're all doing well. That's it for that. That is pretty much the main problem of the day I wanted to tackle. Uh, we can move on to anything uh, from there, uh, even video games, uh, if you're that kind of sick freak. I mean, we could get some video games out of the way. We could certainly sure. do a couple of them. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in. I'm not even going to ask who's going to start. I'm going to start. I've been playing a game called Melatonin this week. Tried to play that. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. Couldn't get, I couldn't nail the rhythm of it and got really upset and stopped. Did you know that game has accessibility settings? I did. And out of sheer obstinance and tantrum infused arrogance, (laughs) I did not use them. So I'm about to talk about using them, having been in a very similar situation to yourself. Um, so I played a demo for this back last summer. I think it was uh, one of the various video game conferences that happened around E3 times showed a trailer of this off and there was a demo on Steam. And I talked about it on Pokquisition at the time as a game that I really liked a lot about, but didn't enjoy playing and just felt like I was fundamentally not good enough to play. Uh, it is a music rhythm game that has a very sort of like lo-fi beats to relax and study to aesthetic and audio design uh, sensibility, where you are a person falling asleep on the sofa and having some weird fucked up dreams about the day uh, that are sort of a little bit rhythm heaven or elite beat agents in their attempt to sort of be a silly concept that you engage with through music rhythm. I really struggled to play that game's demo because I got really infuriated with the very precise timings it wanted from me, and I struggled to follow the amount of visual uh, audiovisual feedback it was giving me. Even in the first handful of four levels, the way that the game's kind of structured is you will be introduced to a handful of core mechanics for a level. The very first one, for example, is you're just pressing A, but there are three different timings you're having to do it on. One is like a high throw of some food, one's a medium throw of some food, and one's like straight towards you. And that'll change what beat you have to press the button on. I found it really hard to switch between the different rhythms and the different timings. There's one particular. Yeah. I think it's the one where it goes one, two, three, four, shoot the thing. Yeah. I never nailed it. It was always too late, and I swear I was dead on. So... I similarly really struggled with it, and the reason I gave this game another chance is that I'd heard some people talking about the fact it had some accessibility stuff in it, and there's a couple of different categories I would put the accessibility settings in there into. One is making it easier to get the ranking and the score you need in a way that is unobtrusive and doesn't change the mechanics. Uh, You've got two settings. One is called Wiggle Room, which gives you a bit more wiggle room for when to hit a note to still get it hit as perfect just increases the perfect window a little bit. Uh, and the other one is you still get the early or mi- uh, the early or late, but you are penalized less for an uh, uh, less for an early or late than you would otherwise be. Uh, the other category is uh, audiovisual feedback. So you can either turn on a metronome that is just constantly there to help you keep your sort of uh, your, your beat and have a reference or 
you can have an on-screen visualizer that's somewhat like a um, Guitar Hero note track, where you have just a circle that's going one, two, three, four in the middle of the screen. It's like very well built into the aesthetic of the game. It doesn't like obstruct the visuals too much. And the, the buttons you have to press will sort of come in from the sides. And when they hit the center, that's your point you're supposed to be hitting the button on. And in combination, having a metronome and a visualizer to help keep that beat and a little extra wiggle room on that very precise timing at once, I went from like having really written this game off last year as like, I want to like it, but it's just not going to be for me to really, really enjoying it and playing through a bunch of it on stream earlier this week and having a great time. I think this is a really good example of a game that like took on board the feedback when its demo was out that a lot of people were like, I love the idea of this, but I'm getting frustrated and that doesn't feel like it gels well with the visuals and the set and the and the music that's happening i don't want to be frustrated with this and found a really well integrated way to make that more playable i'm glad it's not just me like because i consider myself like i'm not great at rhythm games but i consider myself having like pretty decent timing for the non-plastic instrument ones could not nail this i can't put my finger quite on what i struggled with this without the accessibility settings mm -hmm. but with them in place like they are integrated in such a way that i didn't feel like aha that's a thing on screen that's telling me i needed help uh but it just made me have a much more enjoyable time with it and i think that the further i got into it the more that i've been really genuinely quite enjoying this game it is uh it is quite charming it tells a little bit of a narrative uh through its levels without sort of beating you over the head with it and sort of lets you pick up a narrative as you go. I think it's got some really fun ideas, uh, some really creative level concepts. I really dig it. And I understand why you found it frustrating and I hope that you can get to a point where you can let yourself use the accessibility settings because I, I can't promise anything, but they might well do what they did for me, which is really help me to enjoy that game. Uh, so yeah, that, 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 that's melatonin. Uh, what about you both? Uh, we, who, who's played a game they want to talk about? Well, uh, we were talking about Hades a bit last week. And so I've been playing more Hades again. And I tried the build that you had recommended with the... Uh... Oh, the, the laser gun. Yeah, with the laser gun. Yeah. And I get it. It's not for you. It's not for me. <laughs> um, I don't, and I can't even really place what it is about it that's not quite working. I mean, it, part of it is the stationary nature of needing to hold the attack and and stand still. That's definitely part of it. The real stop-start nature of movement with the gun, generally speaking, is is a problem. I think I would have found it more effective also had I you know, had I had this knowledge earlier. Yeah. Because at this point, I'm running, I think, uh, 13 or 16 heat on the gun. Yeah. Uh, so I had already really progressed to a point where now I'm, in order for that build to be effective, I probably can't be increasing uh, uh, health of, of enemies, um, you know, because the damage is low, but 
fast. And that's definitely a thing that is is relevant because I have been playing like that gun was the first gun that I got past like more than one or two heat with. Mm-hmm. And my positive experiences with that are very much rooted in I found a gun that works for me in a build I find fun, but also I'm at low enough heat that like I'm not yet coming up against the whatever walls would prevent this being effective long term. Right. Yeah. But it's it's it is a an interesting build. It is fun to play, and I might even just do a few low heat runs just because it is neat to to blast that lightning everywhere. Yeah. But I've been trying to also like do runs with weapons that I've paid less attention to. And I've started playing with the spear a bit. I've been playing with the spear this week as well. Mm. This this has been my new weapon now that I feel confident with the gun. I've been doing the I've been doing the the, the basic spear. I think it's just the Hades spear. Mm. So I've been playing around with basically having lightning on my regular attack, mm-hmm. water on my special, mm. and as quickly as I can getting a bunch of the like the 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 special uh, abilities on on the electricity. And getting it so that every time I do knockback, it also electrifies. And then using uh, the the Daedalus hammer upgrade that turns your special into a fifty base power explosion, mm. uh, and throwing the and just spamming the 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 special attack with the spear so that it hits a thing, explodes, knockback, electricity starts arcing, and that's been my approach. And if I can get all the bits for it, it works really well. But there's a few too many things needed to get to the good build for it to be viable. Yeah, a lot of critical components in that. Yeah. Yes, there's there's a lot of things where if I just don't get that one thing, the whole build falls apart. A big problem with those builds comes with the Daedalus hammers. Because everything else in the game, you can at least re-roll to get another shot at it, but not with that. And so if I, I do find that the builds that are largely predicated on one of those, uh, it's a real risk-reward proposition to go down that path. Yeah. I also feel like certain, I don't know this for, for, for certain, but I feel like some Daedalus Hammer upgrades are rarer than others. Oh, that could be. In in that, like, there there are certain ones that, like, with that that gun build that I was talking about the other week, I find it really easy to reliably grab the uh, infinite ammo one. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding on, on the spear, finding the explosive special, that I have, I, I, maybe it's just anecdotal, I find that so hard to get and I feel like there is some waiting to certain upgrades that I should maybe be considering if I'm going to build around one. Yeah, I have been using it uh, with the aspect of Achilles. Uh, which one is that? What does that do? That is the one where you throw, when you throw the spear out with special and you press special again, you dash, you attack to position. Oh, yeah. Um, like Achilles. And I, I hadn't used it. And I don't know why mm. I hadn't used it. Because it, now that I think about it, it's so obviously the version of the spear that plays to my dash in, deal a bunch of damage, dash out strategy. It's the one I was drawn to originally, but I couldn't work out what boons to use with it to make it feel effective, because I agree with you. Like, I, as someone that loves the, the um, Gilgamesh fists, I love get in, do hits, get out. And as I, well, as I tend to do uh, with the builds that I, I put around abilities, uh, slower 
harder hitting attacks, I tend to do things I don't plan to stack. And I, I tend to favor Ares and Doom for that. And I have found that to be really, really effective, uh, particularly as in the Pact of Punishment, I tend to always uh, put the first two hits are blocked. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's it's cheap, it's too easy heat points to get on there, and it's very yeah. easy to mitigate. And it works really well with Doom, because as you throw the spear out, hit with the Doom, that's one, um, uh, one hard off, but it also applies the status effect. Mm. And then when you follow up with the uh, Raging Rush... It eliminates the other heart, and then the doom kicks in and does the big damage. Mm. Um, and so you get a real good start on any enemy that you can lay that combination down with, and then you can leave the combat encounter with another use of doom. Um, hitting with the special, passing through them to escape, and possibly going towards another target. That's been really, really good. And then, uh, you know, throwing on any other uh, faster status effect like Chill or um, uh, Dionysus. What, what does he call it? Oh, uh, the, 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 the uh, basic... Poison. It's fucking yeah, yeah. poison. Po yeah, it's, it's poison on your basic attack. Yeah. Um, either of those, uh, Chill or Poison on, on basic attack is, is then where I'll try to go with it. But I also, I keep wanting to find Artemis more valuable, right? I don't know why it is that it seems to me that in other roguelikes, crit damage bonuses and frequency seems like such a better route to travel on than it is in Hades. I've been playing around with the Artemis one a bit, because the first spear build that I was really trying was very centred around around those crits because I was like, if I'm going to be doing lots of specials that are slow attacks but are in theory going to be quite heavy hitters, getting a really good percentage of, t of the time that just does more damage than it normally would feels really smart. It just doesn't feel like it is synergizing with other things in, in ways that are like... I, it, it doesn't feel like it has quite as obvious a correlation to anything else I might build around. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm just, I'm not sure, but I keep trying it, and maybe one day I'll figure out what I'm doing wrong. I did another, what, I can't remember if it was the sword. One of them, yeah, yeah, I think it's the sword has an aspect where you've, uh, after your special, for three seconds, all of your attacks get a crit bonus. Mm. And I tried to pair that with Artemis and a bunch of other crit bonuses, uh, you know, special, or, uh, you know, bonus to attack and bonus to uh, damage on crit. And it, j it just didn't seem to be delivering on the damage per second that I was expecting it would. I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. But anyway, still having fun. Uh, really looking forward to playing actually a little more with the, the spear now that I've found something that, uh, I really like in terms of build. Yeah. Yeah. Steph, have you played anything? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I decided that enough time had passed and that I was no longer fucking sick of hearing about it. Uh, so I gave Cyberpunk 2077 a go. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. That's what I expected. 
I have felt like I've, because, you know, our jobs have often seen us play a majority of of mainstream big budget games uh, at or very near to launch. And as someone who's done that for pretty much every major release, except obviously the ones done by Activision and Ubisoft because they're uh, gross of recent years, uh, I did find it quite valuable to come to a game um, like what, like a year and a year and a chunk of change after launch. It's nice, isn't it? Like for the last, oh, I don't know, five years, that's sort of been the way it's gone for me. I maybe play one or two major releases a year near the time of the release. And any other AAA stuff is stuff that I get on, you know, PlayStation Plus or somewhere else where it's been out for a year by now and and it's done and I can just sort of experience it. It's lovely. Yeah, it's, even though like, I'm playing it the way I play any other game. There is this extra element of relaxation to it where it's mm-hmm. like, there's no pressure. Yeah. And it's having none of the baggage attached. Yep. And that game had a lot of baggage attached. Um, various controversies, both with the game specifically and CD Projekt Red at large. So being able to see see through all that it really does put into perspective how fleeting uh, the hype for a game is to where back when it was new, a reviewer was basically, as far as I'm concerned, assault attempts were made against her yeah. when she complained about the, the flashing effect near the beginning of the game that is known to cause seizures and the reviewer uh, suffers from seizures, and then a bunch of fans decided to send yeah. um, those images, uh, which, as far as I'm concerned, is an, an attempted assault. One, 100%, yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't happen now. You can say what you want about it. I could go on I could go on Twitter right now and say Cyberpunk 2077 is fine. I don't know. I feel like that's... I feel like... I feel like there are still many things you could say about that that would get the internet coming frothing. Maybe not shit all over it, but you could have a mild take, which back then you fucking couldn't. Like, I could tweet, I'm playing Cyberpunk 2077, it's fine. And that's how I've been describing it, with no real blowback. Because that level of fervent zealousy, only in a few rare instances with like the truly fucking cracked fan bases, does it really last all that long? And it puts into perspective just how much of that attachment and how much of the fighting over opinions of the game mean nothing. And I've seen it in, in my 15 odd years of doing this shit. I've seen it time and time again, where all it takes is a year, sometimes six months, before everything about that game that mattered so fucking much doesn't. Doesn't. I mean, how many how many people have come around to my opinion of Final Fantasy XIII? And it didn't take very long. I, it's got fans, sure, a lot of, of glowing praise exists for it, but so m- many people turned around on it and was like, you know what? It's not that great. 
It's like the Zelda thing where every new Zelda has to be the best thing ever or we'll fucking get you until the next Zelda comes along. Then you've got a bit of wiggle room. I'm going to get a lot less shit for Breath of the Wild once uh, the new one comes out, The Queen is Dead. Um, <laughs> at least until my review of The Queen is Dead. Then they might dis... Actually, I'm, I'm hoping I love it. But moving on. Cyberpunk 2077, divorced of all that baggage. It's a decent game. It's decent. I am enjoying it. I like the 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 resentment. I think it was a a wise move to not cover it as a game release at the time for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was so fucking sick of it. So yeah, having a fresh look at it, I can sort of say it's a it's an enjoyable game. It's a little difficult to go to it after playing so much Witcher 3 because it ain't anywhere near as good as The Witcher 3 Mm. in every respect. Um, In terms of gameplay, it's more ponderous, uh, less clearly defined as far as mission structures go, as far as uh, the map goes. It's just not as open and and free-feeling. The gameplay is... It's got really good aspects and other bits that aren't so good it's not as consistently uh satisfying and doesn't have the same flow as something like the witcher 3 but it's got fairly decent solid first person shooting mechanics with admittedly really nice hacking stuff i built my character to take advantage of of the quick hacks as they call them and it is very cool to like highlight an enemy and jam their gun or stop them from being able to move or disabling all of their cybernetic things. I get a lot of satisfaction from that. I shut up. Tamagotchi's whining. I'm I'm intermittently starving it to get the Tamagotchi I want. They evolve based on how much you mistreat them, which I think is wrong, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Writing as well. Like I consider the dialogue just the general conversational dialogue in the witcher 3 to be really good uh the characterizations uh the way characters interact with each other i think that's like in terms of mainstream so-called triple a video games i think the witcher 3 is up there with cyberpunk 2077 it's i mean a lot of people have said it's like baby's first capitalism critique and even that, I think, is is lending it a depth that is not quite uh, reflective of it. Um, every now and then, it will just be like, yeah, Corpo, bad. But then I learned that watching Captain fucking Planet. Uh, I, I don't need Cyberpunk 2077 for that surface layer critique. And on top of that, like, it is... It's so cyberpunk that it would be a parody if it wasn't like the way they are doing the whole dystopia and big mega conglomerates all named after Japanese um, like companies and names and things, which I point out because in 2019 Casey explosion Mm. did this tweet thread, um, a really well-written one, really easy to follow one about uh, the origins of cyberpunk and how much of that origin stemmed from the fear of Japan. Yep. Uh, so to see that em- embraced without critique yeah. in Cyberpunk 2077 is like, 
I'm not going to imply anything negative towards the game that I wouldn't apply to cyberpunk as a genre, Mm. but it really stands out when every corporation mentioned is Japanese. It's just one of them things where you're like, huh, Casey was not wrong. It it is a problem that cyberpunk as a genre generally has, which is fear of the other or fetishization of the other. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. There's 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 only two ways it goes. It's the future you are either scared of people who aren't you or oh you're gonna fuck people who aren't aren't you. Yeah. I mean for a long time in my life, the concept of fucking people who weren't me was novel. I will admit that. Uh, so I, I'm kind of with them on that front. There's not been a massive amount of... Well, there is the whole, oh, sex robots. Oh, like sex workers with robot arms and shit. Which again, just in theme with that game, is just like laughably unsubtle. Mm. Just laughably unsubtle. Um, that mix it up poster is still in there. Yeah. Which, if I recall correctly, the compromise they made on that was not that they'll take out the poster of a um, femme presenting character with a huge penis bulge in their um, tight spandex with mix it up written on it. Their answer, their compromise wasn't we'll take that poster out because we're getting criticism of, of trans fetishism. No, it was we're going to make the dick smaller. Yeah. <laughs> if I recall correctly, that was the comp. That poster's everywhere. And you know what? I, I'm i not offended by it. It's just infantile. Uh, and again, speaks to the game's writing and, and, um, and presentation overall. It's just... Not subtle. Yeah, it's it's in it's one of those things where it's like they tried to apologize by being like, no, 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 you can have a trans character creator, and then the character creator ties your pronouns to your choice of voice, for example. Well, and yeah, like it's it's one of those like, yeah, you're doing the thing where you're doing all oh, that's that's exciting and new and novel. We 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 haven't really thought about why we're putting, but it's it's different. Is there right? Um, it's about as surface level as the queer rep that's going to be in Hogwarts Legacy. And I'm not just guessing. I know some things. Oh, I've heard some things. But, um, I'm, I'm waiting to, uh, talk about that. Um, but yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 is, it's when you compare it to the controversy and the fan hype and, and the, uh, it's positioning as such an important game. It's a major disappointment. Divorced of all that, it's quite a good game that I'm judging a little more harshly just because the past couple of weeks I've been playing so much Witcher 3. Uh, my God, though, talking about being able to make a trans character, I streamed Cyberpunk 2077 uh, earlier this week. We'll probably do it again on my next stream. <laughs> I, I didn't realise that the point at which I'd paused the game to start streaming it oh, no. was a point at which a cutscene took my character's clothes off. Oh no. Oh. So. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> everyone on stream currently knows that my my ideal uh playable character in any game is one with massive tits and a small dick. <laughs> and they got <laughs> 
full frontal evidence of that when I went on the inventory screen. I just wanted to try on a new hat. I just wanted to put a new hat on and instead, full frontal. It was pretty amazing. But yeah, the game is fucking buggy. I've not seen anything as broken as the stuff that was all going around and, and sort of got mimetic at launch. I do appear to have been hit with a bug that was prevalent at launch and a real fucky one that hasn't been fixed in all this time. Um, and it's such a significant one that's complained about a lot, so it's like really annoying that it's there. But um, you can hack access points, these terminals, in order to get either money or components for crafting uh, quick hacks or quick hacks. And there's a bug that um, if you do a really early mission, if you complete that, there's a uh, better than good chance that hacking will not give you quick hacks, i.e. the best reward for hacking. Um, and as someone who built their character around quick hacks, uh, I'm really fucking annoyed with that. I'm hoping that I've not been hit with the bug. There's, as far as I can tell, quick hacks are quite rare, but there is um, part of the leveling up system. There is a, a skill that ups the chance of getting them. And I don't know if I should pick it up or if I'm just wasting a skill point now, because uh, certainly in my 10 plus hours of playing it, I ain't gotten one. Other than that, it's mostly like physics glitches. I've seen nothing too game breaking so far. Um, what else can I say about it? It's big. It's got a map and graphics. They, it looks quite nice. Yeah. Uh, yet again, I want to point out what I pointed out with The Witcher 3. Uh, the default setting is performance mode. <laughs> uh, you can put on ray tracing mode and it makes the game shit. Objectively, scientifically shit. Oh God, there was something else I was going to say about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I will say that if, uh... Anyone is thinking of picking it up and they've not played it before, be warned that like the first five hours or so is in turn. Like it's, it takes a long time to get going and you are constantly inundated with phone calls from characters giving you side quests that can't even be followed because it's like find half a dozen of these things and it's just better to sort of stumble on it as you play. Like I streamed for three hours the other night and I got into one combat encounter uh, that I stumbled on just because it was off to the side while I was on my way to a mission. And the rest of it was just sitting, listening to talking, uh, which might sound great to a lot of people. I think because the writing and characterization is fairly weak in this game, I'm noticing it more. Mm. But after the, I'm sort of 10 hours deep now and I've, learned that the most fun I'm having is opening up the map, finding a picture of a skull, and then uh, tagging it and going there and killing the uh, rather sensitively uh, named Cyber Psychos. Mm. Yeah, one of the many things left over as a holdover from the cyberpunk uh, tabletop yeah. role-playing game that uh, didn't treat mental health or disability or queerness very well at all. Yeah, and I think that's... One of the real shames is that they clearly fucking loved... They they love the genre of cyberpunk. Mm. You play this, you could tell they fucking love it because it is so unsubtly embracing of it. But 
they really did have a chance to do something more with it rather than put you in Night City. <laughs> it's called Night City, for fuck's sake. Mm. And and just do everything you've seen in other cyberpunk stuff with no interesting takes. I think that's the biggest thing. You look at some of CDPR's other work, again, sort of looking at the Witcher series, which plays around a lot with various expectations of what a monster is and, and what uh, very familiar adventure quests are. It, it loves to throw you little curveballs and things. And maybe it's unfair to keep comparing Cyberpunk to, to Witcher 3, but, you know, I'm comparing CDPR's latest output with the output that came before. And it creatively, it's a step down because it just... I've not once been surprised by the game. Because it's just hitting every branch on the cyberpunk tree as it as it sort of jumps down off the top. But I have put a lot of time into it, and I'm not feeling like that time is ill-spent. Well, the first five hours were. But I am liking it. I am liking it. Um, and I will say, as, as far as celebrity appearances in games go, Keanu Reeves is... is putting in the effort this isn't fucking patrick stewart at the beginning of oblivion mm. like he didn't just turn up for five minutes phone it in and call it a day he's in it being all keanu reevesy playing a real dick uh which i like uh i do enjoy that johnny silverhand is he's just a prick and and that's probably the one of the more enjoyable aspects of, of the game's actual writing is uh just interacting with this utter dickhead really pretentious fucking like they didn't try and make his character cool because it's Keanu they were like no he's just gonna be a knob um so I enjoy that aspect uh but yeah that's that's my thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077 uh so far I am as a general rule very much enjoying it in terms of open world games it's structurally a, a very nice one I I have happily spent a ton of time in it but I do think there's a lot of creative disappointment in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, things I've been playing, uh, I'm going to rattle through a couple of things quickly. Rattle, rattle. I've been, I've been playing more stuff on the Playdate because I continue to have more Playdate games every week. You mean you continue to have a Playdate? Must be fucking nice. I continue to have a Playdate that I do. Ah. Um, so this week's Playdate games uh, are Omaze and... Demon Quest 85. Brilliant. Um, so I'm going to talk about Omaze first. Omaze is a puzzle game that is played with the crank on the side of the playdate uh, that is about navigating a small circle around the interior of larger circles. Um, at its very most basic, you start a level, let's say there are three circles, one on the left, one in the middle, one on the right, they're all touching. You use the crank to move yourself around the edge of the circle, where you're at the point where the two of them touch, you can press a button to hop from the one you're in to the one touching it, and you sort of do that to get to the end. Uh, there are some ways that this is made a little more complex. There are certain circles you will go into that like, will automatically move you in a certain direction. Uh, there are sometimes obstacles that if you touch them, you will your character will be defeated and you've got to go back to the start of the level and you start having to navigate around obstacles. Where the game gets interesting and the moment that like I kind of want to talk about is that like I was playing this for maybe like 10-15 minutes and I started to get to levels 
where there were other circles, uh, like myself, inside these circles, that whenever I, I entered uh, the, their area, were starting to chase me and would chase me until I hopped to the next circle. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, I started to personify this game in a way I hadn't been doing previously, and it changed how I felt about it. It feels, once you get to this point, like a stealth action game. It feels like you are trying to, like, be an abstract little character, sneaking into a facility, avoiding guards, uh, running away and, and getting out of sight before they, they, they get you again. It is very much just, you can see the entire layout of what this level is going to be, and where these, I guess I've started uh, um, personifying them as guards in my head, are, and going, cool, let me stop and like look at the layout of this this set of circles and work out what my route's going to be, and then I just have to really well execute it. I've got to be moving my crank so that I'm I'm just at the right times, getting around, pressing the button just as I meet where the, the circles touch, start going the other way, avoid an obstacle, uh, maybe uh, turn the direction of auto-movement around until I get to the end of a level. It is a really simple concept that controls really well with the crank. The crank is like a really smart control mechanism for this. I'm really impressed at how much I've started to get invested in it, like, tonally and narratively, when it is a bunch of, of mini-games about navigating circles. There is something kind of impressive about how well it has made me feel like it is an abstraction of something more than it is. Yeah. And I think that is a real testament of how well this very simple concept has been done. The other game, Demon Quest 85, is uh, a lot more abstract, and I'm not going to say it's necessarily good. I'm enjoying it a lot, but it's got its problems. You find in your older brother's bedroom a book of uh, demon summoning rituals. And your brother's like, I've gone off to university, I don't I don't need this thing anymore. Yeah, go go nuts, do whatever. So you have to research with this little book of demon rituals and work out what music would this demon like, what food would they enjoy, and what three people from my yearbook that has like descriptions of various classmates would interest this demon enough to summon them. Uh you start off with of all the various pages of demons, there is only one you have any real actionable information on, uh, but conversations with summoned demons will start filling out information on other pages, which will help you start working out what you need to to summon those demons as well. It is a story about a, a, like a, a teenager trying to solve very teenage problems with the power of like demonic entities. We're, we're talking like... This church-loving girl has lost her cat. How can we find a demon to summon that might help with that? This jock is is not doing well on the debate team anymore. How can we summon a demon to help him with his uh, lack of debate skills? Where I would say this struggles is as a game. Uh, in that you have to commit for quite a while to find out whether your demon summoning ritual worked or not. And if it didn't work, there is not much variation between attempts. Uh, like, the way I would describe this is, you've picked your music, you've picked your food, you've picked your people, you get a little bit of dialogue when you start trying to do the summoning, a little bit of dialogue from the characters, you do your, your, your text dialogue choices to attempt to summon the demon, and then, let's say it fails. You might get a hint that says, okay, yeah, the music was right, okay, the food was right, maybe the people aren't right. 
But then you you go and change some things up and try again, and a lot of the the thing happens the same way the next time, where you're having to go do your dialogue choices to try and summon the demon, all to find out it didn't work. And like there is there is a s- slight degree of you've put a lot of barriers between me tweaking one variable and trying again, mm. which is a real shame because like. When this works, and like the, the 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 core puzzle is satisfying, and the clues are there to work through it, and I do like it. I just wish there was a once I'd gotten to the try the ritual stage, I wish I could go do the same as last time and see whether it works. Oh, like say the same things as last time. Don't make me go through like the five or six dialogue choices again. Just just let me see if the person I swapped in makes some progress for us. But when it when it is successful, it is charmingly written. It it takes itself way too seriously, which just just works correctly. I think it casts you in the role of a character who very sincerely believes that these absolutely nothing things are very important things that definitely are worthy of summoning very dangerous beings to help with. And I'm gonna put more time into it, but I found myself a little frustrated with how much I have to do. To, to tweak something and try again. What about you, Conrad? Have you played anything else this week? Well, I have been digging around in the GameCube library. Ooh. Because I had been playing Eternal Darkness, and of course that reminded me that GameCube existed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I picked up Chibi Robo again, which Ooh. I've not played in many years, and... It's still very delightful. It's it's not a long game. I know that I am, like, right now, probably at the midpoint, and it feels like it should be a much longer game than it is. But it's so pleasant and charming, and I like the time-based system that it has, where when the game starts... The day and night cycles, they each last five minutes, but you can then buy an upgrade very inexpensively that changes it to 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. And so if you have things that are only available in the daytime and you need to get there, you can drop it to five and it won't take long. You won't be waiting long to get back around to it. But if you need more time in an area, you can just easily extend it out also. Um, really like that. You forget how dark the game is and and i say you forget because I, I don't this has never been a tremendously popular series even you know running the stream uh of it as i have a couple times this past week uh i've run into a lot of people in the audience who just never knew it existed hmm. and that bums me out yeah it, it bums me out that people don't know this exists because it, it's i love look i love a game where you clean Right? I love clean and shit. It's very satisfying to clean stuff. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, I can't extend that to my life. (laughs) No, I do. I do. Yeah, you keep a clean house. Well, I find it very satisfying to clean once it's gotten filthy. Right. Like, once it reaches the point of, oh god, this is oppressively disgusting, now I must clean. This, uh, it makes it sound like you have recreational ADHD. (laughs) Like this is how this is how I have to live, and you're like, yeah. this is fun. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's uh, uh, well. That's the other the other pro- problem is is that uh, I was raised by a person who was obsessed with games, 
right. and viewed capitalism as a game Ugh. and taught me to extend the idea of a game into every unsatisfying task to make it satisfying. Gotta gamify it. Yeah. I was born to gamify shit. Mm -hmm. And so I do. <laughs> I just I can't help it. And yeah, those those wrote things that shouldn't be fun. I make them fun. And so it, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe I take a certain satisfaction out of watching other people do that. But it's it's delightful and funny. And uh, there's a, a really de like kind of depressing family drama at the center of all of this. And it is uh, poignant and heartfelt and does not seem like it belongs in a game that has this much visual charm and seems geared towards a young audience. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Uh, it's probably fairly hard to find a reasonably priced copy of this. What's what's this going for on eBay? Let me see here. Because I, I, I seem to recall it. Holy shit, I should sell my copy. Yeah, yeah, I had the a feeling it was going to be one of those. Oh, yeah, what's, what's the number? So here we got a, a tested no manual, in but with box, $147 with nine bids. Oof, no small chunk of change. Yeah. And that's being bid on. That's, be, that's been bid on at that. So that's, just, that's still going up. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, 170 complete in box. Bid it on. Damn. Well. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, but it emulates very well. It upscales beautifully. Yeah, I'm looking at copies in the UK. Uh, like 300 pounds. Fucking hell. That's just... Once again, I have to point out how much we've ruined things for ourselves like we don't even need capitalism to fuck each other over no uh with the dawn of collectible like turning everything collectible like we we've made so much unobtainable hey emulation is morally acceptable when yes. to legitimately buy a second hand copy of a game is gonna cost you fucking half a console's price yeah yeah you know these games I, in an ideal world, games are made to be played. Yeah. And if you can't play it by buying it, then yeah. Or if you just want to uh, do it for fun, because it's always morally acceptable to uh, yeah. pirate. It's not theft, it's reclamation when it's uh, a corporation. But yeah, it's, it is grim. Because it's hard to emulate like DS games and things. Mm. Like a lot of them turn out to be shit. But I desperately want to replay Aliens Infestation, and it's fucking expensive. Anyway, sorry, went on a tangent there, but it's it's just sad, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, have you played anything else, Steph? Uh, I played this one a couple of weeks ago and forgot about it, but I want to bring it up because I think, I think Laura, you, you will like this. Okay. I'm trying to remember if you've actually mentioned it before. Uh... Are you familiar with a game called A Short Hike? Oh, I love A Short Hike. Oh, Great yeah. Game. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it, yeah. Yeah, as I was finishing my first sentence about it, I was like, wait a minute. This seems familiar now that I'm bringing it up in this context. It's a cute little game, isn't it? Yeah. It is a very cute game. Um, it was recommended to me by a, uh, quite a few people after my review of Little Gator Game. Yes. I don't think it's quite as good. It's not as affable. Depending on, on what you're looking for from these types of games, 
some might find it preferable because it's got a lot more quote unquote video game gameplay insofar as you're collecting these golden feathers that are essentially stamina that let you uh, get more extra jump height and climbing things so that you're doing little tasks for people to get better at climbing to the top of this mountain. Um, very short game. I don't find it quite as like funny and the characters quite as endearing um, as as Little Gator Game. Although again, once again, I'm, I'm sort of doing uh, maybe a bit too much comparison to other stuff. On its own, yeah, lovely little game. I, I enjoy it. I enjoyed it a lot. It was very cute. I did like the, and I, I, you know me, I fucking hate stamina meters, but this was a well-considered one. So many games, and this is the big problem with, with so many, is they tack it on because it's a the done thing. Whereas this game, it's because its progress is so innately tied to that stamina. And there's this interesting balance between you can get more of these feathers, but you might be able to creatively work your way up this thing. Mm. It's just, they thought about it. I don't mind stamina in a game if it's in there for a fucking reason. If it's not just there to be there, it's why I find it more acceptable in like a, a Souls-like, because they thought about it. It's an inherent part of the strategy of a fight. It's not just there for the fucking sake of it. Mm. Yeah, so I I like the the idea, the way stamina as a concept is in a short hike. And of course, the game is so laid back that it, it doesn't quite matter. It's not life or death, uh, whether or not you can uh, make use of the stamina. I will say I, I had to bump the uh, pixel size down in the graphical options. Mm. The game is trying to emulate like a sort of PS1 aesthetic, and it starts off with the maximum pixel size for everything on screen, and it it was borderline unviewable to me. Bumping it all the way down, everything is still like almost jarringly jaggy to me, but I did get used to it. But just thank God there was uh, a series of options for pixel size because that default one is so ugly to me and then I found it very hard to look at. There have been a lot of games over the last couple of years that have tried to do that and have had to sort of back down on their own artistic choice uh, because it has not gelled with players. Uh, Little Gator Game originally had a very similar uh, visual filter over it as default, which uh, got taken away from being the default and became something you had to go find in the menus. Yeah. Uh, because people struggled with it. Because it's not good. I put that option on while playing Little Gator Game for like a little bit. Yeah. And immediately was like, oh no. Oh no. I mean, it's not quite as atrocious as like say i don't know selecting ray tracing mode in a game but it it wasn't pleasant i think one of the big problems is even though there is a real appeal and allure and certainly nostalgia to the psx aesthetic it has to be remembered that the jump from 16-bit to 3d resulted in a lot of fucking ugly games it's as an aesthetic choice it is a hard era of video games to 
evoke nostalgia in while still looking good. Yes. Like, you compare it, for example, to, um, like, the work of Lilith, a.k.a. Botster, who did uh, Bloodborne PSX. Mm. Like, I think that's a good example. Like, she does uh, great PSX character art on commission. Um, I got her to do Commander Sterling as a PlayStation 1 character model. It looks fucking great. But I think it takes some real talent to to pull that off. And a lot of games that emulate that style are as ugly as the uglier PS1 games out there. And and I think certainly slapping a filter on is the worst way you can do it. And that's sort of the problem with Little Gator Game and A Short Hike's take on that is it does just come across like a really like, like they ran it through a pixel filter in photoshop and i think if you find yourself doing that don't just stop yourself and uh, uh either work really 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 fucking hard making a, a, a psx aesthetic from scratch that probably has to be more detailed and, and more uh, modernized than the original games. Or do something else. Mm. But yeah, it, it's a very nice game is a short hike. That, was, that would really be my only criticism, is I'm not fond of, of how pixely it is. Even on the lowest setting, uh, the lowest setting, it was still a bit too jarring for me. Well, not too jarring. It... it it became a lot more... I got used to it. But, my God, the default setting is just horrible. But that's the only criticism. As, as a game, it's fun. Uh, the, the atmosphere, the writing, just very pleasant. Uh, that, that's where it really sort of compares to Little Gator Game. Those are two games where the word pleasant is like the overruling word I could say about it. And... and a very complimentary thing indeed because even some really awesome games you couldn't use the word pleasant to describe them Mm. like you know my favorite game of all time is silent hill 2 that ain't fucking pleasant (laughs) Uh, but there really is something to be said in in a in a medium that trades on violence so much which i'm all on board for don't get me wrong there's something to be said for games where you can be like that's just pleasant yeah yeah Comrade, you played anything else this week? No, I think that's pretty much it. I think that's that's basically everything on my playlist. Yeah. Lovely. Well, should we get on with some of the other bits? Yeah. Sure. Why not? Uh, before we get on to the news, I watched a thing this week that I want to talk a little bit about. Mm, I'm gonna watch. I'm tr- I'm gonna watch it like tonight or tomorrow. Okay, okay. I'm gonna stay like very, very spoiler free. I mean, I'm. It's not even from a spoiler perspective, but I just I I wish I had something to contribute. I tried to watch it this morning. I saw the same thing, and I just want to say like, okay, I understand. Why he fucked it? Did he have to spit on it as well? <laughs> well, you need you do need to lube, I would assume. I mean, it's for lube, right? It was in his face. Oh. I'm just saying, oh. like, two two clowns fucking <sighs> is enough. You don't need spit play on top of it, which I'm all for that. I just think you ruin the face paint once you start doing that. It's true. Yeah. You just ruin the face paint. So, so we'll watch the first episode of The Last of Us. <laughs> oh, sh... Oh... oh, oh. Oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, so look, episode one of The Last of Us, 
structurally, it's what you imagine. It is, it, if you've played the original The Last of Us, it is conceptually the start of that first game up to the the sort of revelation about about um Ellie being being immune i really like this i think they've made some very smart choices that i think are genuinely like very much to the benefit of this as an adaptation trying to put my finger on what i think they've done well about this this adaptation of the last of us an an episode in is that They've given a lot more breathing room and time to perspectives of characters who are not Joel. Because you are not having to stick with the one character that we made video game mechanics about combat for. And as such, this adaptation has a broader view of the world, and I think that it doesn't fundamentally change a lot of like the plot beats that you would expect to see. Uh, if you are someone who is coming into this knowing the game, a lot of things you are familiar with will happen in ways that you are familiar with. But there is nice little areas of expanding and of of pulling the camera back and just taking a little more time to sit with things in this world that are not in the midst of fighting. For this first episode, a lot of that comes in the form of spending a decent chunk more time in the world prior to the outbreak happening and giving you a glimpse of what there was before it was lost and in particular I think this adaptation does a much better job of building up the context in which the outbreak happens and it not just oh and suddenly it's happened here it is like having there be some dramatic and narrative build towards it that feels satisfying, and some building of relationships like that between Joel and his daughter that genuinely benefits the narrative. There are some changes that are little tweaks from the original source material um, that I I think do not fundamentally change the 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 core of what the story is, and I think are smart for making this something enjoyable to watch without playing. I'm trying not to say too much uh, about it. Uh, about it, There is a little bit of a reliance on wanting to sort of mimic scenes directly out of cutscenes from the game. There are certain moments where it's like, oh, this is that one cutscene I definitely remember with bits of dialogue definitely sort of lifted wholesale. But the scenes that have been added in between those to sort of add context are genuinely, like, really interesting. I think that uh, the the kid that's playing Ellie, absolutely fantastic job, same for Pedro Pascal who's playing Joel, I think that both of them have captured the core vibe of the character without trying to just one-to-one do the performance from the game, and I feel like there is some real hope that this might be something that doesn't keep itself too beholden to its source material, but does bring something new to the table. And I'm kind of excited. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good adaptation. It's it's walking that line between we're making the thing you know, but also we're not going to do things just because that's how they were in a video game. Pretty well. I'm very interested to watch it. The buzz and critical response surrounding it. I mean, simply to even hear 
critics at major outlets yeah. uh, express something other than derision at something based on a video game is remarkable. Yeah. Now, I, as I've always sort of thought this would be better as a movie anyway. Yeah. You know, or TV series in this case, and uh, that ho- we'll see. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I don't want to say too much in the way of specifics, but, like, there are little changes made here and there that I think genuinely make some characters' behaviours a lot more understandable and better context, mm-hmm. or that allow uh, characterization to make a lot more sense than is necessarily given in, in a video game where you are trying to do gameplay mechanics. Right. I really appreciate things like, um, even as early as this first episode, it seems to be implying that we're probably going to get an episode based on the Left Behind DLC, and that is getting talked about in the story prior to it showing up rather than it just being and here's a thing that was never mentioned prior to to happening uh which is really nice there is some effort put into making joel as a character who is desensitized but also has a very specific soft spot for why he would want to protect a very specific person something that there is some actual meat on the bones as to as to why he feels the way he does. It's interesting. I genuinely kind of like this the, the changes they're making. Yeah, I'm I'm more positive than I than I maybe thought I would be coming out of that first one. But yeah, should we do should we do some news? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We got a, we got a couple of bits of news. Uh, so let's start with Ubisoft because Ubisoft's had a fuck ton of news stories in the last week. Well, we'll do these in order, because there's an order of escalation. Ubisoft has cancelled three unannounced games and delayed Skull and Bones again. Maybe it's going to be this year, maybe next year, who the fuck knows? Yeah, so this this news came sort of bundled with the fact that Ubisoft has confirmed that it has had disappointing financial results for its most recent quarter. Across the board, Ubisoft games have not been selling as well as expected. This is the old below expectations TM phenomenon that I talk about on the Jimquisition. Yes, and very specifically they've pointed to things like Mario and Rabbid Sparks of Hope not selling uh, nearly as well as the first game, and they've basically gone, oh, there's major changes, the industry's shifting towards mega brands and long-lasting titles, and... Whose fault is that? Yeah, I can't think of a studio more at fault for that than Ubisoft. (laughs) Right? So they're they're having a review of their revenue prospects, and they're going to have an increased cautiousness over the coming years, and blah, 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 blah. I like that they admit, though, what I've said for years. Like, we're now at the point where they are straight up saying that it's not enough for a game to be successful anymore. It's not enough for a game to not lose money. It's not enough for a game to make money. You know, I, I... Repeat this mantra on the show all the time. Companies don't want money, they want all of the money. Which, that quote, when I first said it many years ago, came from someone who was working at Square Enix. Mm. Uh, and, And that was... Their insight from having worked there, that was the attitude. Mm-hmm. And we see this with um, not just video game companies. This is exactly why Netflix keeps cancelling all those shows, no matter how big they are, yeah. no matter how much people are enjoying them, no matter how much they're getting watched. It's not enough 
to be successful. And that is when you know that capitalism has truly gotten fucked up. Because as Ubisoft now admits, and it's nice to see them admit something for once, it's all about, it's it's not about brands, it's mega brands. Yeah. Because capitalism only exists, well, capitalism exists on the false notion that perpetual rapid growth is sustainable forever. Yes. It's not a reasonable or realistic expectation, but it's what they expect. And it's why these games always perform below expectations. They are constantly raising the expectations, yeah. Yeah. They're making wild promises to their investors that this game's going to shift this, this game's going to shift this. One of the most famous examples, of course, being um, Dead Space 3, making, what was it, $3 million? Five. And those investors have likewise been trained by capitalism to believe that their investments should perpetually be more valuable year on year, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Should deliver greater return year on year. So when it doesn't, then they do not acknowledge or recognize that there is a issue with that line of thinking as it regards to um, reality. Yeah. They have been taught that that is reality. And so therefore there is something wrong with the product, the company, yeah. the, the workers. It's the shifting market. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's uh. never them. It's never their fault, but we've reached a point where that attitude has become so poisonous and so extreme that we are now in fucked, like genuinely fucked up situations like HBO um, refusing to uh, air shows that are made and filmed because they'd rather use it for a tax write-off than actually yeah. put it out there because it's all about uh, keeping up this grand lie that capitalism has maintained, that this perpetual rapid growth is something they can do forever. Now, I, I, before we get on to like, the other stories about Ubisoft's financials that are important to talk about, I do want to take like one little sidestep, uh, because we talk about Ubisoft being like, no, 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 we, the future is mega brands, we need to have like, the ultra-successful mega brands uh, that are making, definitely making enough money to justify the time spent making them. We did get confirmation this week that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is apparently still in development. <laughs> they've they, they've cancelled three unannounced projects. They've not taken the opportunity to get rid of Beyond Good and Evil 2 five and a half years after they showed the last trailer for it. I'm genuinely tired of hearing about it. Like, I'm genuinely tired of Beyond Good and Evil 2. Oh, I've, I've looped around to finding it hilarious at this point. I'm in no way, like, expecting it to be good. I'm just... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun. I just mean as as a product I might have ever at one point, even before, you know, I completely wrote Ubisoft off as something I'd ever give money to. Like, I had interest in it. And now, like, even if I wasn't unpersoning Ubisoft uh, or uncorporating, I I feel empty towards it as a product. So just to remind people where development on that game was at, uh, the the big like oh it's hap it's happening again trailer was E three, twenty seventeen. Michelle Ancel left Ubisoft in the summer of twenty twenty, which that was the first time where I was like oh yeah Ubisoft's been trying to like not make this for years and Ancel's been pushing for it. This is the perfect opportunity to cancel it. 
Nope, they kept making it. This is another good opportunity. You're cancelling projects left, right and centre. Like, this is the second time, like, a perfect opportunity to cancel this game has come and gone and they haven't done it. I wonder if if they ever will act. Like, Ubisoft never wanted to do it. And they've used it as a carrot on the end of a stick for several things. Like, oh, Rayman's got to sell this amount Otherwise, we won't do Beyond Good and Evil 2, or Beyond Good and Evil HD has to sell, or we won't do it. I can't believe Beyond Good and Evil 2 is going to happen, because Beyond Good and Evil 1 was kind of a niche success. It was not a big moneymaker. Yeah. Why are you still developing it in your era of, this has to be a mega brand? No, I think Steph's right. I think Steph, Steph is 100%. They are leveraging the cult audience. Yeah. yeah. You know, they have a, they know that there is among those people, they are, they are going to be the most dedicated consumer if it means that they get this thing. And I, I'm not saying for sure that it'll never happen, but I don't think it will. I, with you. Yeah. Yeah. They've, I don't think they've ever wanted to. Um, make it. I think it was uh, Michel Ancel who sort of leveraged his sort of influence to actually get it done. And I think this whole time uh, Ubisoft as a company has allowed it to be made under duress. And at this point, it's probably easier for them to just keep saying it's coming yeah, rather than trigger sort of any backlash. As has been proven with Skull and Bones, you can just keep saying a game's coming and then whenever it gets closer, push it back a bit more. Yeah. yeah. And no one can prove that's not real. I mean, I, I, at, I, at this point, I would need evidence. I need proof of life. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Because at this point, like, it's, it's like sadness for the Wii. That old phantomware. Yeah. Let let me talk to Beyond Good and Evil on the phone. Make make sure that <laughs> right, they're yeah, okay, exactly. that you haven't already, you know, you didn't kill them two weeks ago. Yeah. So on top of that, we got the news that Ubisoft's uh, stock company stock value fell by 19% uh, following the news of their cancelling a bunch of products and their stuff not selling as well as expected. You know, that's, that, that is a piece of news. Uh, it was followed up by... Uh, Kotaku managed to get a copy of an email that uh, Yves Guillemot sent uh, company-wide to staff telling them to take responsibility for forthcoming projects and their success. <laughs> Sorry, he's telling people to take responsibility for something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Let's let's have a listen to his quote in which he, he blames, uh, well, a lot of things that I think are probably his fault on the workers. Today, more than ever, I need your full energy and commitment to ensure we get back to the path to success. I'm also asking that each of you be especially careful and strategic with your spending and initiatives to ensure we're being as efficient and lean as possible. For sale. <laughs> the ball is in your court to deliver this lineup on time and at the expected level of quality and show everyone what we're capable of achieving. So what he's said here is... You need to spend less money, mm -hmm. but you still need to deliver the game on time and of the same quality. Which sounds to me like a lot of unpaid crunch is probably expected. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you can't spend less on making the game while still making the game as quickly and as well. Yeah, that's not really how it works. Good, fast, cheap. Yeah, you can't have good, fast, cheap unless you abuse someone to get there. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, in response to that, 
we've got rumblings of strike action and walkouts and things happening now. I'd love yep. that. I would love to see it. Uh, so Ubisoft Paris staff um, have have received a call to strike. Uh, union workers at Ubisoft Paris, uh, who are part of the Workers' Union Solidaires Informatique, uh, has called for strike action on Friday the 27th of January, stating, quoting, sort of making making some fun of Yves Guillemot's quote, the ball is in our court, but the money stays in his pocket. Which is very fair. Understandably, staff at Ubisoft are not happy with Yves Guillemot keeping his very big bonuses and going, oh, you've really got to tighten your belts and still deliver everything as expected with less money while I have my big bonus. That's not gone over well with staff. Yeah. This is going to be a rough strike month in France. There, uh, like all of the major French unions have called for a strike on the 19th because of pension reforms that are being proposed. Uh, it's... <sighs> I mean, like, I'd be offended too. Yeah. If I was a dog and a flea was telling me to bleed better. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially like what we're doing. Like CEOs, the executive class in general is is such a parasitic class. And for them to essentially say, like, you're not laboring hard enough so I can make money off the back of you is despicable. Mm. So I will read some of the statement from this uh, union because I think it is it is quite quite telling and it's worth listening to. Um, they accuse Guillermo of uh, trying to shift the blame once again onto employees, saying that CEOs' calls for employees to give it our all and be efficient and lean as possible would lead to overtime, managerial pressure, and burnout. Uh, they said. If the request to employees to be especially careful and strategic with your spending is supposed to be ironic, considering the company's editorial strategy the last few years, it's not funny. Uh, when Mr. Guillermo speaks of attrition and organisational adjustments, it means staff reductions, discrete studio closures, salary cuts, disguised layouts, etc. They also had four um, demands of Ubisoft because they, they feel that Guillermo, and I think they're right in this, is... Uh, Asking a lot from his employees, but without any compensation. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're asking for an immediate 10% increase for all salaries, regardless of annual increases, to compensate for inflation. Improved working conditions with a particular focus on implementing a four-day work week. Transparency on the evolution of local and global workforces. Uh, and a strong commitment against disguised dismissals and a condemnation of abusive managerial policies that push employees to resign. So yeah... You know, all the complaints we have about Ubisoft on a on a uh, executive level, good fucking luck to the workers at Ubisoft. I hope you are able to get some of the things you deserve out of that company. I am... I, I'm not optimistic. No, but... But uh, I 100% I support and and hope that that you can achieve something better for yourselves than what you're getting there. Yeah. One way or another. We've got a couple of quick updates on, on the uh, the Activision Blizzard King buyout situation. This is more people, more companies, more organizations stepping in to go, maybe this buyout shouldn't happen. Hmm. Uh, the latest, Google and NVIDIA have contacted uh, US financial regulators about the, uh, the, the purchase of ABK. Uh, sources told Bloomberg that both Google and NVIDIA had expressed concerns to the FTC, 
basically trying to uh, suggest that Microsoft would gain an unfair advantage in the mobile market, mm. the subscription, the game subscription market, and the cloud gaming market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're looking to move into those spaces, and this would be a good wedge to have to move into those spaces. Yep. Some people have argued that perhaps NVIDIA is doing this a little maliciously because Microsoft protested NVIDIA's acquisition of ARM uh, a while back, and there are some people going, is this NVIDIA just going, fuck you, you won't let us monopolize, we won't let you? F uh, fine. Uh, finally, some competition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who knows if anything will come of that, but it's worth knowing there's some more players <laughs> throwing the hat in the ring. And the other update we have is that it seems like it's not just going to be the FTC complaining about uh, antitrust. Uh, the the EU's regulatory board is also going to uh, be be looking into whether this is an antitrust situation and laying out their reasons for being concerned. <laughs> Truly surprised that they got there later. Like, I really would have expected the EU to have jumped in before the FTC. I don't know. I feel like the EU takes their time and works through things methodically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Processes and shit. I don't know enough about the FTC to know, to know how similar they are or not. Well, to be fair, the FTC has a pretty broad leverage to just take action because we worship money. Plus, you know, they... This is, these are American companies as well, so it's probably taken time for the EU to... I mean, it's still shocking the FTC s stepped up at all, really. Well, yeah, that's, that's honestly more of a surprise. Yeah. Um, although they have, they have a history of uh, keeping a, a close eye on Microsoft, um, so... Yeah. Someone's got to. Every, every corporation should have a handler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, the, we don't know anything specific here, but what we can expect is probably in the next week or two um, hearing about what concessions the EU wants out of out of uh, Xbox to make this go ahead. So probably going to have a new list of, of things that Microsoft has to work out. Do we or do we not capitulate on this point uh, to, to get through this? Mm -hmm. And lastly, before we finish up today, Steph, did you at all see anything about this bored ape? Yacht Club video game this week? Uh, no, I saw y'all talking about it, but I was uh, being pricked with uh, allergens um, at the hospital. Oh, okay. Um, turns out I'm um, allergic to nuts, by the way. Oh. Oh. Yeah, seem to recall that. I thought we knew that, yeah. Yeah, after, after several hospitalizations. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, similar to Beyond Good and Evil 2. Apparently the NHS wanted to see it for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw it, but I uh, hadn't had a chance to follow it. So do please tell me. Oh boy. I... <laughs> yeah. So I I feel like before we like point Steph at the trailer to watch, I think we need to try and explain as best we can the video game here. That, well, this is the thing that I'm contending with. Like I I am not sure how to how to explain to any human being like. In a clear and concise manner, how this actually works. So I've been trying to do this for several days, and I think this is the the closest I can get, and it's going to be glossing over a lot of the complicated bullshit. If you have a bored ape NFT, you can get a pass that will let you play 
a video game in the span of like three weeks that it's playable. That he's like you're surfing, you're a you're a monkey surfing through some sewers trying to get a high score. It's Tunnel Run. Yeah, it's Tunnel Run, but with apes. And we'll get to like the the narrative conceit of this in a minute. But right. you have to have an NFT to play the game for three weeks to get a high score. No, on hang a lead on. Of- hey, well, hang on, hang on. No, we okay, we need to clarify something about this because we they needed to make it confusing as fuck. So everybody who gets a who everybody who has a board ape yeah gets a sewer pass, okay? Now the sewer pass is the thing that's necessary to play the game, but the sewer pass is transferable. So you could transfer to anyone. You do not have to have a board ape to receive the sewer pass. And you can play the game if you have the sewer pass. But you can only submit your score to the leaderboard if you, at the end of the period of time where the game's available, have the sewer pass still. Yes, and the score that is on the sewer pass is attached to the sewer pass. So if you were to, say, give your sewer pass to someone else and they played on it, it's not racking up score for you when you get it back. It just goes back to whatever shitty score you had. Yeah. Was this convoluted access and release structure designed by Nintendo's evil twin? Oh, we're not even like a third of the way in. We're just getting started, Fred. We're barely there. We're barely okay. there. So okay. this is this is uh, this is being suggested as a skill-based event, despite the fact that you can use all sorts of ape currency to get uh, things that will make it easier for you to get a higher score. So it's not a skill-based event at all. But they're pre- pretending it's a skill-based event when you can just spend money to do better at it. So at the end of the time, the very top person on the leaderboard will get the key out of the monkey's ass. Oh, did we not mention? Yeah, we haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, that's right. Now, yeah. I I can't help but notice um, during the description of this game that you've mentioned, um, as, as that last point, in fact, uh, that you get the key. Let me uh, just get this straight. You get the key from the monkey's ass. Yeah, yeah. So the game is called Dookie Dash. Dookie Dash. Yeah, Dookie Dash. Oh, right. It's about a monkey who took such a big shit that it tore a hole in reality, and like a key in a box came through, and then he accidentally swallowed the key, and now they've got to go through the sewers to get to the bottom of his toilet so they can pull the key out of his ass. It's the fact that all of this revolves around shit. Um, a, a moment of rare self-reflection from the NFT world. Oh no, not not in the slightest. There is no self-reflection no. here. No, they just think poop is funny. That's all it is. And they're not yeah. wrong. Poop is funny. Look, I'm. Poop is funny. I'm I'm there. Yeah, like like Boston's favorite son is available wherever good podcasts are found. Uh, shit is quite amusing. Yeah. Yeah, so like, here's where this goes from here, though. The only the very top person on the leaderboard gets the key, but everyone else can be involved in the summoning event, which happens in like February. Yeah, so like the great dog prophet will show up, and like you will be able to use your sewer passes and their attached scores, and also some other series of NFT related things to turn your sewer passes into a different kind of nft later right which will then be utilized 
as part of a next phase of the game. Yeah, and also we didn't mention that the sewer passes come in various tiers, because like depending on whether you have the bored ape or like a better kind of bored ape or also the accompanying dog. Oh yeah, the the dogs the dog gets you a second sewer pass. Yeah. Or like a higher quality sewer pass, maybe, but then you've cause this is only like pass one, and then you've got to do skill-based mint two, then minigame set one, and then it's gonna branch into minigame set two and then combining with BAKC. Okay. Okay, the yeah, the the ADHD has gone off the rails with it. It's reached yeah, that yeah. point where all I want to do now is Google pictures of cotton candy lobsters. Like I, I'm off the the rails with it mentally. I honestly cannot say we are explaining it any worse than the video no. does. No, but I will at this point at the bottom of our little chat send you a link to the animated trailer. Yes. Now, as you're watching this, I would like to note um, that the ape coin, which is, uh, when did that video come out? What's the date on that? Uh, the date on the video is three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Okay. The, the trial of Jimmy the monkey. I'm, I'm looking at the explainer video. The explainer video came out three on the 14th. Okay. Yeah. It was this week, the explainer. Yeah. Right. All right. And the reason I am doing that is because I am looking at a tracker that tracks ape coin. Yeah? Yeah. Has this had an impact on the ape coins? Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, at about, as of like 3.30 in the morning on the 14th, when this explainer released, it spikes, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It, it goes in that morning... Uh, coming from the prior day or the prior morning of, you know, let's see, on the same time, 24 hours earlier, it was 487. It shoots up to 565. Mm. Like a nice, healthy, healthy, healthy jump. And then it's uh, about an hour and a half later, it, it, it it's lost a lot of that growth. Yeah. And then uh, by the next morning, it, it's lost... Oh, more than half of the growth that it had had. Yeah. Rallies a little bit, but then now it's just right back where it was before. And, and I mean, like two days before the announcement, meaning there'd probably been a couple of days of them hyping something coming, building it. It's, but even still, okay, to, to get a power up for your run in the game, if you were trading at today's rates, you would still pay $9 per boost. Yep. And that's before you factor in gas. Like, yeah, disgusting. So this is the state of NFT video games. This is, this is, the, all the, the Square Enix, when you say, hey, we want to get NFTs into video games... This is your contemporaries. This is who you are up alongside. Well, and I think there is an aspect to this complexity that feels almost intentional. It's not merely bad design, I don't think. Hmm. Because I think that the people who are really involved in cryptocurrency like the forbidden knowledge aspect of it. They like that they have this understanding of this secret world that to the rest of us seems alien. But don't worry, it's the future. When it also is their only def- it's their only defense of NFTs. It has been from the beginning. 
they get to say, you just don't understand. Yeah. That's always what it is, is do your research, you just don't understand. And then you look, and it's just arcane bollocks. It's arcane bollocks so that you can pull a key out of a monkey's ass. No one needs that much obfuscation to pull a key out of a monkey's ass. No. No. I, I tell you what, of all things ever said on Podquisition, <laughs> I think that's the truest. Exactly. You don't need arcane bollocks to pull a key out of a monkey's ass. And really, uh, are we all not keys in monkey's asses? And with that, I think I think we're done. I think that's it for today. I, yeah, I think I mean I think we are done. Oh, I think I'm just done in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just plain yeah. fucking done. I mean, you know, and, and we we also forgot to to mention that we forgot. To mention that the prior episode was episode 420. We didn't make a single oh, yeah. weed drug joke. We we didn't. We didn't. We somehow didn't. I was smoking weed at the time and very high, so I don't <laughs> know what y'all's excuses was. I mean, our excuses we weren't smoking oh, weed okay. at the time. All right. Yeah. All right, fair. <laughs> I, I happen to be pure and virginal, and I have never... Uh, eating her drugs. You've never, you've never lettuced with Satan. No, not, not at all. And I've certainly not been given weed by fans at the end of wrestling shows. Not once. <laughs> not all once. Ever. Um, <laughs> but speaking of things that are completely just fucking done, Laura, you've done a lot. I have done a lot. Uh, you can find me everywhere at Laura K Buzz, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. I, I I was on the radio a couple of times this week talking about gender recognition certificates. Uh, a TikTok I posted about that has like tens of thousands of views. So that's fun. Uh, I posted a thing about Everstones in Pokemon basically just being uh, puberty blockers for trans people and how if you can support any of the Pokemon in any of the episodes that have used an Everstone, you can fucking support trans people's medical access. Go watch that over on YouTube. Other than that... Look forward to Who Hunts the Whale releasing in less than a month. That's February 16th. That's that that book I've written about definitely not a, a direct satire of existing video game publishers that exist, talking about the evils of capitalism and how it can destroy even the most excited person to work in video games as a field. But also, it's funny and heartwarming and hopeful in amongst the de devastation that a story like that becomes. Uh, so check out Who Hunts the Whale. That's coming out. February 16th. Conrad, what about you? Where are you on the internet? Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I I would say that I am a fan of Steph. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Conrad Zimmerman, also Instagram. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com, audiobooks, conradreads.com. Uh, hang out with me on Twitch. I've been playing Chibi Robo, been playing a bit of Hades, gonna be doing more of an Eternal Darkness playthrough. Just come on by. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh yeah, that's true. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that is the Patreon that supports this and the show and the reviews and all of that business. Um, I also stream uh, typically Mondays, Wednesdays, and sometimes at the weekends, uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, my current confirmed wrestling dates are thus January 28th, Sheffield, True Grit Wrestling, uh, February 5th, uh, Manchester, Sovereign Pro Wrestling, 
March 18th, Blackpool PCW, and March 25th, Leeds, which is a, a big hyped one. The, the reaction for the announcement this past Saturday was huge when uh, I challenged Priscilla uh, in ring after uh, destroying Nathan Black. Um, but yeah, March 25th, Leeds at the Left Bank venue, True Grit Wrestling, uh, Commander Stephanie Sterling um, versus Priscilla, Queen of the Ring in our second ever match. The first match I had with Priscilla is uh, my favorite match I've ever had. The uh, second one's going to be fucking amazing. So that is one, if if you are um, near to Leeds or can get there for the 25th, I promise you, you do not want to miss that one. And that's that. Uh, thank you all for listening, as per usual. Thank you for all the support and all of that business. Uh, we will see you next week. Uh, bye. Bye. Bye.